Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Good morning. Welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. We have got another fantastic session for you today, full of inspiration. Um, This is what's coming up. We've got a few things that will help you with your lawn. Are you struggling at the moment with weeds? It seems like all over the country people are having these sorts of issues. I'll introduce you to a product that is the perfect solution to a lot of your weed problems in lawns right at the moment. I'll also reveal the Garden Express Offer of the Week, talking shaded plants this week. If you've got a shady position you're not sure what to put in, the perfect solution. And as always, we'll be answering your garden questions. This is what it's all about today, so it's all about you. If you've got problems with your garden, if you're looking for inspiration, if you're looking for ideas, this is the session to tune into. Now, a couple of things. When you do, make sure that you actually let us know what suburb that you are from, what state you are from. It really makes a big difference. And if you like what we're doing, then of course, please um, hit the like button. That's very important. We've got some great prizes to give away. We always have these wonderful Fothergill seeds. We've got the five top questions and you'll see why. I'm, I'm being overwhelmed with perfume at the moment. I hit the rose garden this morning at my place, picked some roses, brought them in, and we've got pretty much the last copy of the rose. This was a book that I wrote with Nev Passmore some period of time ago, and it has just about been, well, totally... Um, totally taken up now we've we've sold them all over the country and of course we've given a heap away now look we've got a whole bunch of questions coming through um there's been quite a few people send through questions with regards to um, particular plants and sending photos which is great so don't don't hesitate to do that rose photo is attached and here it goes you can see um that we have got some geraniums and roses as said every year they're eaten by pests, especially the white pests. I think it's white fly. I use Yates pyrethrum spray, but it hurts my plants. Do you have any natural solutions? Well, let me tell you the the real challenge with white fly um, or green fly, if you've got glass houses, because that's what they are, is actually keeping or getting them off and then keeping them away. Now, you can use chili garlic sprays, but you really need to amend them. If you're going to do them, you have to put in a lot of olive oil, very important. Mix that in probably 10 to 15 mils in a one litre sprayer. So it's a fair bit. You've got to shake it up and make sure that it's really in there. Then you've got to spray up underneath the foliage. The other solution is to use something that's systemic. And there is a product from Yates called Bathroid Advance. 
Now, it is registered for treatment of uh, whitefly and it is a very, very effective control and it's certainly something that I'm going to be using in my garden at the moment because it is a bit of a broad spectrum. So we'll take out quite a few of the problem pests that are out there. So whether that's the natural solution you want to use, um, if you were to uh, probably go with a purist point of view, they might tell you that it's something along the lines of um, white oil or pest oil or eco oil or one of those horticultural oils. Um, but it's very, very hard to get the saturation under the foliage. And if you get any hot days, any days over about 27, 28 degrees, and you've got those oils on, there's a risk that your plants could burn as well. Hopefully that helps Rose. Now, Nat is in Forster in New South Wales. Nat regularly contributes. Thank you so much, Nat. And you've sent us a photo. Do I know what this plant is? It's meant to have white flowers. Now, taking a look, um, do you think that's because I live right on the beach? Any tips to improve its growth? Okay, that particular photo looks very much like a gardenia to me. And um, it's in a pot and it's got potting mix in there, so you'd think that it'd be doing okay. But typically coming out of cooler weather, gardenias often will yellow if they don't have enough trace elements. And if you're getting a well-balanced fertiliser, something like Osmocote, you'll get a really good blend of trace elements. But if you get the specialised Osmocote, that's the one that promotes flower, um, you'll find that you'll get a lot of flowering and also obviously um, you'll get the growth that you need. And now's the time to be feeding pretty much every plant in your garden because as the weather warms, as the daylight hours get longer, plants grow faster and they'll grow bigger and they'll have a greater demand on natural resources, those minerals in the soil. So um, my suggestion is that you take a look at uh, at that. Let's keep moving along. Penny, we're not sure where you're from. This is really important, folks. You let us know where you're from. Um, I'm trying to find a plant called the longevity spinach or Gynura procumbrums. Is it stocked in Perth? I've only seen it in the Eastern States. The only one I know that might be carrying this at the moment, I think, uh, in Western Australia is a is a nursery um, uh, which I've just had a blank. Um, it'll come to me in a second. Um, uh, uh, Taswan trees. Okay, they're a specialist uh, fruit, veg, um, edible plant grower. They are in um, sort of the northeastern suburbs of Perth. Um, so Taswan, T A S one trees. Hopefully that helps. Um, let's keep moving along. Jenny, uh, sorry, Betty is in, in Goulburn. Can you recommend a good feed for kangaroo paws in spring? Well, look, kangaroo paws, interestingly enough, just need to be um, just need to be fed. They need a good all-round fertiliser. If you feed them now, you will sustain a second round of flowering for those early flowering varieties well into the late spring, even early summer. Um what I would recommend you do is uh, you probably get your hands on some Osmocote, but that Osmocote plus organics. Now, the reason for that is you're going to improve the soil moisture retention at the most critical time when you do this, plus you've got uh, controlled and slow release all happening at the same time, which um, will really help boost them along. Hopefully that helps. Betty, Janice is in central New South Wales. Um, what could be causing black spots on my Daphne plant? It's a really good question. It shouldn't be getting black spots on your Daphne. There's generally two things that can kind of cause this, and I hope that I'm going to help you here, Janice. One is if it's getting blustered around, if it's getting blown around a lot in, in blustery winds, 
um, they do bruise and you will see black spots emerge anywhere where there's been damage on that plant. Um, sometimes Daphne's are a little susceptible to, um, uh, to scale and they could appear or, or, or uh, manifest themselves as like little black spots. What will be the giveaway with those is you should be able to scrape them off because they should be just a lump. If you can scrape them off, I would do that. Definitely uh, apply a, um, again, a horticultural oil is actually probably one of the better controls for Daphne and scale. Uh, but please don't do it if your days are getting over that sort of 27, 28 degrees because you, you're going to cause more scarring on the plant. But, yeah, that, those are the two most common sort of outcomes. Central Queensland, we have Sandra joining us. Uh, we have had rain, um, which is a rarity. Is it wise to cut back azaleas? They finish flowering. They're growing rapidly. If I do cut back, do I fertilise? Um, the answer is you can prune them back now and... Uh, that's not really going to be a problem, Sandra. The trick with them is to make sure you do feed them afterwards because if they're producing lots of growth, you're going to find that they're um, they're going to need that support, particularly if you start taking some wood off. So, yes, you're going to do the right thing here. Rebecca, we're not sure where you're from, Rebecca. Please, folks, let us know where you're from. Um, what's the best way to grin out my lawn after my, after my garden... Gardening have shaved it too short. Oh, my gardener's shaved it too short with a lawnmower, scalped it, and I've given it lots of water, but it's brown in one spot. Okay, well, this is not an unusual. Um, this is not an unusual situation. So, when you when you sort of come out of winter, a lot of people will mow the lawn down quite hard. Um, the best thing to do is actually to mow it and take about 25% of the blade off, and then a week later, mow it again lower, another 25% down and that'll reduce the scalping. It's not going to fix your problem right now. What you probably need to do is you can get this top dress. It's called Lawn Reviver. Um, it's basically an organic compost, finely sieved, and you put it over the patches. And, um, yeah, what you'll find is that um, it'll encourage the grass to regrow through those patches. Um, the only other thing that I would suggest to you is that possibility at the moment that you might need to apply a wetting agent. Those things are pretty important with lawns that have been scalped. Joanne, we're not sure where you're from, Joanne. Um, my daisies are all overgrowing under the path. Can I cut them right back to the woody stem section? Will they grow back or will this kill them? If you cut them back into the hardwood, you are going to probably kill off sections of the plant. What I would recommend you do is um, you trim back as much as you need to, but definitely don't cut back into the real hardwood. If you cut back one section into that hardwood but leave the rest of the plant up and just reduce down into green wood, what will happen is you probably get reshoots of new growth in the hardwood, and that would be good. Um, but, yeah, I think that that's probably the best way to go. Adrian, uh, again, unknown. Not sure where you are. When do I cut back hellebores? Well, I'm not sure why you would cut them back, to be honest, Adrian, unless they're really big. Um, but typically all you do is just deadhead them, take those old flowers off, and you do it when the flowers have started to dry. It's a really important part of um, 
of the hellebore's life cycle. So if you take that off, what they tend to do is build more of their energy back up into the plant and less into the seed uh, that's been produced from the flower. Tyson is from Baronia in Victoria. Do you have any tips for starting a garden bed? Yes, Tyson, absolutely. So there's two things that I would look at doing. One is I would look at incorporating a good organic soil improver into the soil and I would cultivate it into the top 20 centimetres, so it's a fair bit, that's quite deep, uh, of the soil, so about that deep. What I would then do once that's been cultivated is I would add a controlled release fertiliser. I would, even if it's really poor quality soil, I would even consider putting some blood and bone in um, and then cultivate it again just to make sure it's mixed in thoroughly. I'd give it a really good water and then I would plant whatever it is you're going to put into the garden bed and I would put a top dressing on top of that of sheep manure. Now, sheep manure is a wonderful thing to add this time of the year and it will improve the, the carbon in the topsoil and um, that's a pretty important thing. Uh, Lila, we're not sure where you're from, Lila. Please let us know where you guys are from. It makes it very difficult. Now, Lila's question is an easy one to fix, though. Um, can you please tell me how to get rid of cooch grass that's grown into garden beds and in, in amongst plants? We did talk about this a couple of weeks ago. There is a controlled, well, sorry, there is a systemic um, in herbicide. It's co it's called um, fusillard, and uh, it's really interesting. It only kills grasses. So as long as the plants that you have are not things like bamboos or any other type of grass, ornamental grass plants, um, it's perfect for for putting this in amongst it. Because uh, other than that, it's very, very difficult to get cooch grass out of garden beds because if you pull it, you break it off, you're only cultivating it. So hopefully that helps Lila. Jan, unknown, um, we're not sure. How do I – oh, this is a really good one, perfect timing to be quite honest. And I'm going to um, – it's going to give me a good lead in. So what Jan's asked is, how do you kill this weed without killing my broadleaf buffalo grass? It has taken over. Okay, and we have got a photo sitting there that she sent through, and you can see it looks to me, it's a bit blurry, but it looks to me like you have got a very significant infestation of oxalis creeping through there. Um, and what I would be doing is I would be applying over the buffalo grass a weed and feed uh, fertilizer, but only one, sorry, weed and feed herbicide, select herbicide plus fertilizer, but only one for broadleaf for buffalo grasses. Don't use the general one. It can be really, really problematic. Now, we'll talk about these because uh, Lawn Builder um, produces one that's ideal for uh, the buffalo grasses, but it produces one that's a general weed feed and green up, and it is absolutely brilliant. Now, um, to show you, I think we've got some images of it um, to show you what we do with it here at the Garden Gurus, but we will use that as a general treatment on all the fine leaf grasses with the exception of um, uh, Santa Ana, which is a little bit on the sensitive side to it. So um, this will take out pretty much all of the the, the broadleaf weeds that we worry about, so bindi, clover, um, any of the flat leaf, um, all of those things are really sort of 
now is the time to treat them. In fact, probably with Bindi, it's almost too late, I would think, in most places. If you're down in cooler climates um, or, or up in the mountains in cooler climates, you've probably still got a chance to take it out before it causes too much of a problem as it, as it disperses its seed. But now is definitely the time to get control of it and start to treat it. Um, now, this evergreen product is lawn beater, builder, weed, feed and green up. Now, what makes it really extra special is it's got extra nitrogen in there, 11.6%, um, and iron, and it's 136 parts per million of iron. Now, iron in a lawn um, massively improves the colour, so it turns this dark green colour very, very quickly. And I can tell you from personal experience that, uh, and you can see it in my garden being applied there, that it is really effective um, in one, taking out the weeds, but two, actually being immediately absorbed through the foliage of the lawn and giving it a big push, which is exactly what you need to do. A couple of little tips for you. Do not apply this, uh, sorry, apply this now. Do not apply it though if it's going to rain. So if you've got rain in the next 24 hours, don't apply it. Wait until you've got two days of dry weather and do not mow for at least seven days after you've applied it. Very, very important. Um, and just to give you an idea, that bottle there does about 180 square metres, which is more than the average backyard has. So it's pretty good stuff. So that's Lawn Builder, Weed Feed and Green Up. It's another one of those products that come from those people that love the garden. And um, it really does make a big difference to the health of your lawn. Uh, and and certainly, you know, to taking out those weeds that are competing with it. I hope that helps you with your lawn and keeps the, the lawn nice and green and, and looking fantastic. All right, now let's keep moving on. We've got lots of questions coming through. Catherine is in Carlisle, which is in WA. I'd like to kill a strip of cooch lawn and replace with local natives. I've asked the lawnmower contractor to spray with Roundup. However, it died briefly before coming back happier than ever. How can I kill a cooch permanently? So here's the trick. So you do your spray with Roundup and you give it a shot with urea. Okay, urea is all nitrogen. Anything that's that's still living in there, that's under the soil and still going to come through, will come back up. And then you spray it again two weeks later with Roundup and that should kill it all off completely. And at that point, the cooch is out. Um, what I would then look at doing is putting a big, thick layer of mulch over the top, at least 100 mils. So it's a really big, thick layer of chunky, chunky mulch. And then you should be able to plant straight into the soil uh, that that had that housed the grass. You don't need to do any improvement because if you're using local natives, um, they will have adapted to to the sands and to the soils, and they'll use the 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 organics, the the carbon from those from that dead grass. Um, they'll use that as a source of nutrient, and you should see that it all um, makes a big difference. Kerry. Uh, we're not sure where you're from, Kerry. How do I keep my pot of plants healthy and alive during hot summer months? Two, two tricks, two tricks at the moment. One, most important, apply a wetting agent. Soak your pot of plants. Everybody should be doing this with their pot of plants. Soak them with a, um, with a wetting agent that goes deep into the soil, a liquid ideally, um, and will, you literally, you should see some bubbling up. So there's air pockets in there and so on, and that happens over the winter months. This will get rid of them. This will ensure moisture is in there and then apply a controlled release fertiliser. Really important. Janice is in central Queensland. I've recently purchased a hydrangea plant. I wanted to plant them in an area where it gets morning sun, but I've noticed the leaves wilting. Um, but they bound back in the late afternoon. Okay. This is not an unusual thing. And 
you know what, what's going on here, Janice, is is uh, a classic situation of very soft new growth. Um, it's coming out. It's it's the plant's growing very fast, but its moisture that it needs is actually uh, is greater than obviously what's available. So you'll see the wilting in the afternoon in the in the peak of the sun. I wouldn't worry about it. I would make sure that um, in the early evening, maybe just give them a little bit of a water just so that they don't stress too much. But you actually want them to stress. This is going to harden the plant up so it can handle the summer months. And pretty much all plants, it's been a pretty remarkable growing season um, with rains and moisture um, for some period of time. And what we're, what we're seeing is there's a lot of extra soft growth. Now, as we move into drier conditions, the roots, there'll be a, a very extensive root system down there and it will struggle to get the moisture that it needs. It's not going to get the same moisture that it had. So you'll see a bit of a die-off of some of those roots. What you will see is the plant above start to stress. So sometimes a bit of light pruning back, not with hydrangeas because you want to make sure you're getting those flowers coming through, but with, with general plants, a bit of pruning back if they're looking stressed and they finished flowering good idea. Um, and with a hydrangea, just manage it carefully over the next couple of weeks. That's the way to go. Hopefully that helps, Janice. Um, Maria, we're not sure where you're from, but you've asked uh, about the weed and feed being applied to zoysia grass. Now, you can definitely apply weed and feed to zoysia grass, but not that particular weed and feed. Zoysia grass is a broader leaf grass, and it will set back if you apply that particular one. So when you apply weed and feed to zoysia, what you want to apply is the weed and feed for buffalo grass. Um, that way you'll, you'll take the weeds out and you won't set the zoysia grass back. Gail is in St Andrews in New South Wales. Hello, Gail. Um, my mandarin tree is starting to fruit. Is this normal at this time of the year? And the answer, Gail, is that it should be setting very small fruit now. Mine's just finished flowering and I'm starting to set those little tiny fruit. Um, and it, it takes pretty much the whole of the summer uh, for them to obviously mature to the size that we're going to enjoy. Um, okay, Carol's in Mallee in Victoria. It's very hot. Our roses have earwigs. They love eating the rose. How do I get rid of them? It's funny you should say it. We um, These roses, when I picked them this morning, there was actually an earwig in the roses uh, that I picked in the flower. I can't see him at the moment, but he's, he was active actually in the flower buds. Interestingly enough, he's not in there um, to eat the flowers as such. He's in there to eat insects. Um, he'd much prefer to eat um, protein than he would um, the, the flowers themselves. But if they do get in excessive numbers, they can cause that sort of damage. The, the treatment is actually the treatment you'd use for slaters. So um, the ideal scenario is to provide them an alternative um, food source around the base of the plant. So uh, squeezed orange halves is always a good thing. You'll find that they'll come for that. They love the sweetness of the orange um, and the, the juiciness of the flesh that's left. Um, if you want to control them properly, then you need to use a slater killer. There's a few of them around, so you can kind of get these little shake-on packs um, you can use things like Deris dust. Um, it is very effective with um, with some of those kinds of bugs in and around roses. And um, I'll talk about these roses a bit further on, actually, because they they really do look fantastic now. But it's what you do when they're at their peak that'll keep them staying at that level for some period of time. And one good thing is that roses love hot weather, so don't worry about that bit. This show is brought to you by the Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. 
They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Um, Sharon, you're in Bensdale in Victoria. How can I grow avocado and royal gala in a pot? Okay, well, royal gala is an apple and avocados are obviously uh, avocados. There's dwarf varieties of avocado, uh, so I would be looking for that uh, straight away. That would be the first thing I would ask my, my local garden centres. I want a dwarf, and there's probably two varieties that you would look at, um, but I'll let them recommend that to you. Royal gala. Uh, it's, again, something that you can actually get gala apples in um, uh, grafted as a, as a dwarf plant um, on a dwarfing rootstock, and they're the best ones to go for. What I would do is I would visit your local garden centre. I'm not sure who your closest would be in Bensdale, but would definitely pop in there, have a chat to them, explain the situation. The tub that they're going to suggest is probably going to be a 500ml tub for these kinds of plants, but both of them will actually perform in them and will produce uh, crops. Not big crops, but, but crops nevertheless. Hopefully that helps Sharon. Suzanne is in Melbourne. We're getting lots of, lots of uh, questions coming from Melbourne, which is great. But for all of you out there in New South Wales and uh, Queensland, keep sending your questions in and we'll, uh, we'll answer those as well. Um, Suzanne's question, so many trees fell during the storms in Melbourne. In fact, it's a really good point. Bad storms last the last week or so. Um, the roots were so shallow. How do we help maintain old street trees like elms, as an example? Well, elms in Melbourne, um, they are probably falling not for the reason that you might think. So there's this elm beetle that's slowly killing off the elm trees of the world at the moment, unfortunately, and it's been a big problem in Melbourne. And what happens is... Uh, the trees themselves, those big, mature, established trees, get affected by the beetle and, and it basically causes them to become weak. And so when they're under stress, which is during a storm, you'll suddenly see them go over. There's not a lot you can do for trees that are in that situation, unfortunately. Um, I'm not really sure at the latest situation with elms, but we might touch base with one of our uh, mates in Melbourne and, and check and see what's going on there with regards to treatments. At the moment, there's been not a lot out there and it does cause a lot of problems. So hopefully um, we can come up with a little bit more. As far as shallow roots go, well, the trick with, with trees when they're young is to only water them once or twice a week, but to soak the ground for 20 or 30 minutes so the water goes down deep into the ground and the roots will follow that down. You literally don't water them again um, for another five days or so and then give it another good soak. And that's um, the best cultural practice to encourage deep root growth. If, you, if you're watering small amounts every single day, the plant will send shallow roots out across the surface because that's where the majority of the water will be sitting. Effie, we're not sure where you're from. Why are the leaves of my gardenia plant turning yellow? I can't see any bugs. Even the new growth seems to be yellowing. Yeah, it will do because we're coming out of winter. The plant has suddenly taken off and it needs some fertiliser. And the yellowing is probably one of two things really obvious with gardenias. It's either magnesium or it's iron. Now, both of them can be supplemented. So we were just talking about that um, that that weed and feed's got extra magne uh, extra iron in it, 
And one of the reasons is because it greens. Well, you can get magnesium is Epsom salt, so you can get that and you can put a couple of tablespoons into a couple of litre watering can and water that over the foliage and it's absorbed through the foliage. That will help take out the yellowing in the plant. The one that's probably the, the big concern, I suppose, is if you're getting iron shortage. So you do need to supplement iron with pretty much all of these kinds of plants. So gardenias, um, rhododendrons, azaleas, um, camellias, all of them this time of the year benefit greatly from an iron-rich fertiliser. So look at those specialist kinds of fertilisers and that will help you get the nutrients that it needs. I hope that helps. Okay, Liz is in Sydney. Here we go. We're into New South Wales now. This is great. Thanks for sending in your your questions from uh, New South Wales. I've got freesias and jonquils, which are over for the year, but being impatient to get space back and want to pot out other plants. Is there a way to cheat feeding the bulbs when digging out before the tops have died back, or will that damage the bulbs and will they not flower next year? Well, to be quite honest, mine are pretty much the same. So I'm starting to see they're starting to get floppy and uh, we'll start seeing them yellow and all that nutrient is going back into the bulb. So you're going to take them out, which you can, take them foliage the whole lot. Don't cut the foliage off, take the whole lot off, bring them out, put them into some airy boxes and some, some boxes where there's lots of airflow through them um, and then put them into a shaded position. They'll suck up all the goodness out of that foliage, pulling it back into the bulb and then when it comes to planting next year, just pull the foliage off as, you, as you're going and that's all you've got to do. Tracy Downey is in New South Wales. Tracy, thanks so much for joining us. I've got a very shady backyard that's currently surrounded by overgrown bushes and trees. I'm struggling to find plants that do well in dappled light. I've planted some clivias, photos attached, I believe. There we go. Um, but I would love some suggestions of other plants. Well, clivias are a really good suggestion. And a couple of weeks ago, we were talking to David at Garden Express and he mentioned another one that I love in shaded positions in my garden, and that's the sacred lily of the Incas, the Hymenocallus. Now, they're both absolutely fabulous. The, the Hymenocallus, the sacred lily of the Incas, has beautiful white spider-like flowers in clusters, and they open new ones up every day from the single flower head. So they're really good. Clivias are obviously spectacular in springtime as they produce masses of brilliant colour. Two really good dry garden, um, shady environment plants however during the week we actually um uh, last weekend we talked about hostas and the guys at garden express have got an amazing offer this week so my suggestion would be you think about hostas hostas are brilliant in shady positions in fact they are the plant to make sure you're putting into a shade position this is one of those things with garden express where they have the right plants at the right time not just that they also pick the cultivars that are best for your garden environment. This is really important. So they've got two collections that are available at the moment. Um, one is, um, collection one is Mini Hideout, Robert F Frost and Beach Boy. Um, both of them pretty amazing, um, pretty amazing offers. The second one, collection two, is Grandiflora, Fortunii and June. So these uh, for perfect for shady positions, and this is the Garden Express offer of the week. Now, the flowers themselves are a, a range of different colours on these. They're, they're not so much really about the flower as much as it's more about the actual foliage um, with hostas. They really are wonderful compact plants with quite diverse foliage. And I'm hoping we're going to put a clip up to show you 
um, what that looks like in a second. But the foliage is a range of golden variegations, white variegations, and it really is absolutely superb. So that's a really good plant to fill in these garden beds that you can see up here at the moment. Um, literally, you can mass plant hostas all the way through that, and it'll really get like this amazing result of sort of dense ground cover um, and uh, at the same time uh, it'll get us some some pretty good looks now take a look at this clip and we'll, we'll show you the offer of the week hostas have to be some of the greatest shade plants around they are tough, robust, herbaceous perennials and they'll grow in a really shady spot. So if you've got a garden like this one where your house casts a bit of shade over the garden all day, they will absolutely love it. They are loved for their neat growth habits, which is what makes them a brilliant understory plant. These are extremely hardy and easy to grow and they can brighten up any spot in the garden with their colourful foliage. This is Hosta fortinii, and it's a beautiful form. It gets these beautiful, lovely variegated foliage, which is starting to develop. And I've got a few others here, which I'll be planting out into this garden. Hosta June, a beautiful neon gold. Grandiflora, which produces strongly fragrant flowers. Beach Boy, a great variety for containers with very decorative foliage. Robert Frost, a stunning blue-grey form with yellow to cream margins on the leaf. And this is Hosta Mini Hideout, and it's a great variety because it has slightly curled foliage, which will get white and green variegation. And it's another variety that's perfect for pots. So if you're limited on space, this is the one for you. If your shade garden is calling for a splash of colour, Discover the Hosta collections on Garden Express's website. In each collection, there are three plants and you can pick these up now with a saving of 25%. You might be tempted to get all four collections. Now, um, the deal is a pretty good deal. What we've got is uh, three Hostas for, uh, in each collection. So there's four Hosta collections in total. Um, and there's three hosta plants in each one for $24.50. Now, normally they'd be about 35 bucks. In fact, I think um, Garden Express had them at 32.70, but this is a 25% saving off that. So for $24.50, you'll get three hostas, um, which is superb. Really good deal. Of course, the only way you get it is to go online and shop with Garden Express. They are our, um, there are, I suppose, direct to your door garden centre and it's a chance where you can actually have this delivered direct to your door. Three plants from either collection one or collection two. If I was you, I would go collection one, one of each, collection two, one of each, pop them in. You're going to get lots of variety. Should look superb. Um, I think we've got uh, a fair bit of uh, quite a few questions coming through. Just we'll say to you, gardenexpress.com.au if you want to get your hands on that deal. Okay, Maria is in Sydney and she, thanks very much, Maria. Um, what beautiful roses. They are beautiful roses. Um, I'm new to roses. My aunt, when she passed, left me a stunning rose, which I'm not sure of the name, but it's got a lovely perfume that flowers beautifully. Is there any way to take cutting successfully? I've had no luck so far. I would love to be able to share the plant with family. Maria, roses will grow from cutting. 
There's no doubt about it. What makes a rose bush usually so vigorous and and vivacious and producing so many flowers is the fact that it's grafted onto a rootstock. So sometimes the only real good way to go is to actually graft it onto a rootstock. In saying that, it doesn't mean that you can't grow them from cutting. You just have to be a little more sensitive to them, and they tend to be a smaller plant if they're grown off their own roots. Um, the trick, however, is to wait until you've gone through the flowering process, cut the flowers back, and then immediately under that you'll you'll get the foliage growth and you take cuttings about this big. They should have basically three nodes on them. That's where the leaf comes out. And what you want to do is you want to cut the leaves off the bottom node and the second node and leave two the two leaves on the top node and pop them into some really good potting mix. Now, I can't stress it enough. It's it's actually a potting mix that you want to put these guys into, and they will drop roots down into that. But if you're in using a typical propagation mix, my experience is it's not quite as good, and partly because where I live, those mixes tend to dry out quite quickly, and these cuttings will not survive if they dry out. They have to be kept moist, but not too wet. Bit of a challenge. Hopefully that helps, Maria. Um, yeah, it's one of those things. I love. I love the roses in my garden. The perfume here at the moment is intoxicating. It's a little overwhelming, actually. But uh, it is one of those plants where, you know, you just can't get enough of them once they get going. And they really are so rewarding. Now, Graham and Tricia from Greensboro, uh, do you scarify buffalo lawns? If so, when? Right now is the answer. And yes, yes, you can. Um, so there's, uh, I don't know whether you saw it, um, Nigel, I think, did a did a, a story on a scarifier. It's literally it's a hand scarifier. It's like a rake, and you pull that through the the top. Now, what you're going to do is you you're going to unsettle it, and you're going to pull some runners off as you go. But you're going to pull a lot of that thatch that's sitting underneath out from the plant. Give it a, a good soak um, the lawn immediately after with a wetting agent, and I would use that liquid, that extreme green liquid um, fertilizer. It's a lawn builder product. And you can literally hose it over, so it's a it's a liquid fertilizer that will get the lawn growing back really, really quickly. But um, now's the time to do it if you're going to do it, Graham and Trish from Greensboro. Uh, Rhonda is in Belmont in New South Wales. I've got Chicago Peace Rose, which looks quite healthy, but only had one rose flower and none and no signs of any any other buds. All right. So Rhonda, the trick with with Peace is. Um, it's a gorgeous, uh, Chicago piece is a gorgeous rose, uses huge amounts of energy to produce um, each single flower. So the trick with them is to make sure that you're actually applying um, a good fertiliser to them and, and right now. So you want to be encourage them, encouraging them to, to uh, produce as much growth and as a consequence flower um, by feeding them right at the moment. And if you want to know what the best fertiliser is for roses, well, controlled-release fertilisers are good, but a dose with cow manure at this time of the year, and I know it's kind of right out there, but but I've always found cow manure gets the biggest, strongest, healthiest roses you will ever see. And then you just supplement it with those controlled-release fertilisers like Osmocote that have got all the blend of all the other nutrients that you need as well. The combination of the organics, so the carbon and uh, and obviously the controlled release and the well-balanced fertiliser really brings Chicago Peace, as an example, um, to the very best it can possibly be and keep the moisture up to it as well. Songul is in New South Wales. Everybody in New South Wales is writing in now, which is great. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, what is the best flowering plant under shade for summer? Okay, well, it depends on 
Uh, it depends on how big a plant you want. Uh, there are some, so if you're looking for a, like a woody shrub, there's some all year round flowering azaleas, which are pretty rewarding um, in shady spots. If you're looking for something just to fill in the gaps in underneath that, one of my favourite plants is impatience, and there's a whole range of them, but the New Guinea impatience have flowers like that big, and you know, any, any one moment in time that plant could have something like 15 or 20 flowers, so they can be really prolific um, in what they're producing. Um, so, yeah, my suggestion would be that you, um, you probably look at those too. They're the really good options. Thank you, Songul in New South Wales. Pam's in Broken Hill, New South Wales. Hello, we're seeing a pattern now. I planted a dwarf Lisbon lemon in a half wine barrel in June. Use premium potting mixture. Do I need to give it any extra fertilising now? Absolutely. Right now is a really good time to do it, Pam. And again, uh, you know, I would say that Osmocote plus organics are really good, but always look for something that is about fruit um, and and veg. So think about that side of things because that's where you want the energy going into the plant as well, not just a, a high nitrogen fertilizer. So I um I hope that helps, Pam in Broken Hill. We do want to hear from from people all over Australia. So uh, make sure you know if you're in South Australia, Tassie, um, Victoria please make sure you're writing in as well because we will answer all of your questions the best we possibly can. Now, I know that we're coming towards the end of the time. We've got 20 minutes left in this show, so I want to make sure I get through a few things first up. Now, one of them is these roses. Take a look at them. I've got three, no, four different collections. I've got some Australian roses here, and I don't know whether you can see because those guys are so big, but over the top I've got some burgundy iceberg, and burgundy iceberg is one of my favourites. Iceberg's obviously that beautiful white floribunda rose. This is burgundy. I've got some beautiful standards all the way through my garden. Look at that. See all the buds, see the flowers. They are so rewarding. But there are some, I suppose, more complex varieties of flowers as well. These ones here are uh, Pierre de Ronsard, but it's a beautiful white flowering form of it. And down here, the open flowering form, the what we call floribundas, so a cluster of flowers. Um, this is seduction. It's got to be one of the most beautiful flowers when it comes to uh, when it comes to getting dazzling with colour. This is the one that I wanted to show you. There are some great rose breeders around the world, um, and probably everybody's heard of David Austin, but not everybody will have heard of Delbard. This is the Delbard painted collection. This is just one of the many. Uh, flowering, different coloured flowers from the collection. You'll see what why they call them painted is because there's like strokes, like paintbrush strokes going through the petals on the plant and they really are absolutely sensational. And I, I did mention um, the other collections, well, this one here, this two there from the David Austin Rose Collection and they are just gorgeous couple of tips with roses if you really want to um, get the very best results. If you want the flowers to last longer, you do need to treat them. Try and control um, any problems that might occur with thrips. So thrips get into the flowers, and if you're not sure if you've got them, a, a white piece of paper just literally turned over like that and then bang the flower heads onto the paper, um, you'll see thrip activity if, you're, if there's thrips around. And there'll be little tiny insects and they'll suddenly start crawling across the paper. Um, 
you have to get rid of those because they're going to damage the new buds as they come out as well. And that'll affect, uh, affect the, the roses flowering. What I would suggest you do is you use a controlled release, but that bathroid that I mentioned before um, is also a very effective control of thrips in roses. The second thing, actually, we were talking about, we were talking about earwigs before. There you go. Can you see that earwig? Yeah, see him in there. So he's in there. He's actually eating other insects at the moment, um, and would much prefer to sort of stay in that space. But what I would like to, what I would like to do is um, is suggest to you that you don't kill insects randomly. You make sure that you're um, letting Mother Nature do her own thing. If he's eating other bugs, they're not doing any damage to your particular roses. So I'd leave him in my roses if I was you. If you've got lots of them and you're seeing damage and that, that literally is scarring on the foliage or the end of the petals, um, then you do need to treat them. So that's the two pests that I would keep my eye out for. And the third and most important thing I'm going to share with you today is if you want to get the best results out of roses, as the plant produces its flowers, cut them back. Don't be scared to cut those flowers off and put them into stems, into vases, just like, like this, because you're actually going to trigger more flowering. But when you do cut them back, when you do take those, either deadhead them on the bush or take flowers off and put them into vases, um, you need to feed the plant. Okay, it's put a lot of energy into producing this, and if you want more of the same, you're going to have to feed them. So liquid plant foods over the foliage of roses now, pretty good. Using something that's um, that's a little bit more proactive around the base, Osmocote plus organics, again, think of flower production, think of promotion of flower, and then um, feed them. Feed them as much as you possibly can. So a couple of handfuls per bush, um, spread around the outside about a metre or so in an arc around the outside of the plant. They do have you know, fine spreading roots. They'll take all that nutrient up and they'll grow like crazy. Hopefully that helps. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. One thing that I did do on the Garden Gurus on the weekend, and it got an enormous amount of feedback, was I did a story for Still. It was about their mowers, their their, their um, battery-powered mowers. And um, within that story, I took some lawn clippings and spread them over the top of the garden beds. Now, lawn is something that uh, has a significant amount of nitrogen in it, a lot of goodness. And nitrogen is used by um, microbes in the soil to rapidly break down organics. So spreading a little bit of lawn clippings lightly over the top of the soil is a really good thing. This caused a huge, um, uh, well, I'm not going to say backlash, but certainly a lot of comment from people going, yeah, but what about weeds? Well, the truth of the matter is that if you're spreading it finely and if you're mowing your lawn on a regular basis, there won't be a lot of weed seeds in there uh, or, or lawn seed either. So if you're just spreading it finely over the top, worms and microbes will consume that green. They'll take it down. They'll put the carbon into the soil. It improves your soil's nutrient level, but most importantly, it's water holding capacity too. So that's why I recommend it. And I don't have huge problems with weeds. What I do do, though, is, of course, as we move into summer, I will mulch the surface of the soil. If there are any weed seeds that are under there, they get smothered out anyway. So hopefully that explains all of that. 
You've got my plant of the week, the rose. How could you not fall in love with roses when they look just as beautiful as this? Now, we've got another great episode coming up for you this weekend of The Garden Gurus. We love bringing The Garden Gurus to you each week on Channel 9. It's an absolute pleasure. And there are so many good ideas that we are sharing this season. I hope that you'll find garden inspiration at every single turn if you're watching the show. Make sure you check your local guides because uh, sometimes the time slot does vary. And, of course, there's a lot of repeats going on as well at the moment on Nine Life. And if you missed the weekend show, you can always watch it on ninenow.com.au. That's watching it whenever you want to watch it, which is sometimes quite convenient when you've got beautiful weather like we have been enjoying. Speaking of beautiful places, Bustleton in WA is one of those places. And Leona has written in to me. Uh, she has said, the leaves on my magnolias are very yellow. Wondering if it's because I mulched the bed with wood chips, mainly to stop our border collie bringing the lovely rich soil into the house what can i do to correct it well actually magnolias tend to and i love it because i've got a couple of dogs that love bringing the dirt into the house too so i can relate to what you're trying to do there leona um what i think's going on here is bustleton has very alkaline soils and um magnolias gardenias camellias azaleas they all prefer an acidic soil and I think that what's going on here is that you need to rethink about what you're mulching the garden bed with. Wood chips, probably fairly inert. They're probably well balanced in the middle. But if you were to use pine needles um, or an acidic kind of uh, mulch, that will help acidify the soil, which will make the greening agents, that's um, magnesium and iron and nitrogen, more available to the plant, and you'll see deeper, darker, greener foliage. So... I think that um, I think that my suggestion would be you think about that, and I would certainly be thinking about probably feeding them at the moment with something that's going to promote flower, but but acidify the soil at the same time. And um, probably the, the the best thing to use if you really want to do something like that is to correct the soil slightly and feed it at the same time using sulfate of potash. Sulfate of potash. Have a look at it in your local garden centre. It is a, um, it's a an essential mineral when it comes to acidifying the soil and promoting flower. Kathy is in rural New South Wales. Garden Express's Facebook page is where you've come from. I've got so many earwigs. I can't use pyrethrum because the cat's sensitive to it. What can I use that is cat and bird friendly? Well, when you're killing something, um, you're going to have to be super careful because um, – you know, you're going to kill a bug, it's going to have some negative effects on insects, obviously cats, birds, dogs, the whole lot. Pyrethrum is a natural insecticide, so that's probably the first thing I would say to you. Um, what you could do is you could use something like that bathroid, um, which will have a negative effect on their populations, but what you want to do is keep the cats um, in the house for at least a day. Um, so it can be absorbed through. And then once it's happened, come out and give it a bit of a, a wash down with a hose and that should really bring your populations of earwigs down quite significantly. Uh, I hope that helps Cathy in rural New South Wales. Uh, we are back in Victoria, which is great to see. Leah uh, from Berwick in Victoria, you also came to us from the Garden Express Facebook page. I have dianthus memories. All of my 10 plants lining my driveway are splayed outward with buds, Buds eaten out of the centre before they flower. Okay, so this is another one of those. This is a, a little borer that gets into the buds of um, 
of dianthus and carnations, and it's a significant problem. And it's a little stem stem weevil or, or stem um, eating um, boring caterpillar. And the only way to really get rid of it is to use a systemic. Uh, you can use that base roid. Again, it's another one that'll work quite well. But if you can get something called bug killer, or it's almost impossible to get a hold of Confidor these days. But if you can get hold of any of those, they're really effective in getting control of that. And look, just at the moment, it's not such a bad thing. Go through, cut all the flower stalks off um, that are that have been eaten out, and treat it. And the next ones that come out shouldn't have that problem at all. Collect all those. Don't leave those flowers laying on the ground. Collect them, take them away, and it helps control the bug. Hopefully that helps. Tumble Stripes has come to us from YouTube in Terrigal, New South Wales. How do I transfer my mandarin tree safely from a large pot to a new raised garden bed? And do I need a citrus soil? Um, so you need good soil for citrus and particularly mandarins. They do like it. You want to get as much of the, you know, the root system into the ground, into a new raised garden bed without damaging it. They they don't like a lot of root damage. It's probably one of the few citrus that just take a long time to recover if you do it. The trick really is once you've got it into the soil, to get some sea salt and soak the soil with sea salt. In fact, you could take the mandarin out of its pot, put it into a bucket full of, of sea salt uh, infused water and let it soak it up and then plant it and that'll be even better. Tumble stripes, I hope that helps you um, in Terrigal in New South Wales. Uh, Jana is in Sydney. My new fiddle, I take it, it's a fiddle leaf plant, has brown spots on its leaves. Is this okay? Well, look, you know what? If it's got brown spots on its leaves, it's probably because the air is dry in your house and maybe a little mister over the foliage once or twice um, a day will make a big difference, particularly to the new foliage. You're not going to change the old foliage, but it will help. Um, I hope that helps, Jana. Uh, it's just dry conditions. They're used to being a little bit more humidity in the atmosphere. And, of course, make sure that you're always keeping your water up to fit a leaf um, fig as well. Lorraine, um, we're not sure where you're from, Lorraine, but I suspect um, it is Lorraine who follows us normally. I have a young grapevine which is getting black mould on the leaves. What's the best spray to use? Mancazeb is the best spray, Lorraine. That will help you enormously. Um, right now is the time to do it, but don't do it in the morning of a hot day. Okay, so try and if you're going to do it, do it at night. Um, and hopefully the next day it's it's relatively cool, under 25 degrees. I hope that helps you. It's why it's really important to let us know where you're from because if um, you're in Queensland and, and conditions are, or even you know at the moment New South Wales, hot and dry, um, that could be quite problematic if you were to spray that on a hot day. Yvette is in Melrose. In South Australia, I had to repot my Daphne and it's sulking. What should I do to fix this? Daphne, one plant that do not like their roots being damaged. Right at the moment, I would get some sea salt and mix it up in a watering can, give it a bit of a soak, and that's all I would do with it. It just has to recover. Um, they can be really, really temperamental, Daphne. Beautiful plant, one of my favourite, but certainly one of the more difficult ones to grow. Maria's in Hobart. Great to have somebody from Tassie joining us. I've done everything for my May lemon tree. Um, it's in a huge pot. There's leaves are still yellowing. However, there are flowers all over. Is this because of the cold weather? Absolutely. It's cold weather, plus it's still a lack of those micronutrients that, that um, is very important for citrus when they're in a pot. So citrus will drop their leaves um, if they're not getting enough of those micronutrients. 
which is why I specialised, um, you know, citrus fertiliser, citrus and fruit fertiliser is so important. So make sure you're using that, Marie. When you apply it, water it in so it's really washed into the roots and then the plant can take it up. But you just need a bit of warm weather. That's going to be the single biggest thing. So feed it, warm weather, you should do well. Jeff and Rita are in Delaney's Creek in Queensland. We're all over the country now. It's really happening, which is great. Thank you for your questions. Um, some of our orchids haven't flowered for a few years. I'm just wondering why this might be. I, you must have missed a session we did a few weeks ago, but um, it depends on the type of orchid. If you've got cymbidium orchids and they're in shade, then what you need to do is to trigger the flowering process is to pull them out. Now's not a bad time to actually split them and pot them and then put them back into the shade up until sort of Christmas time, basically until we see the daylight hours starting to shorten and then move them out into bright sunlight so that they're in a position where they're getting lots and lots of sun, maybe just some afternoon protection of sunlight. What will happen is the day shorten, it triggers this um, bud production and the extra light will be very beneficial in doing that and you'll find they'll suddenly start producing big long flower stems. I hope that helps. Uh, again, with that sort of thing, thanks for letting us know where you are. If you've got you know particular types, because there's orchids are the biggest flower family on the planet. There are more orchids species than any other plant on the planet or any other genus on the planet. So you need to make sure that um, if it's a specific thing, send us a photograph. It's a good way to go. Mary is in Albany in WA, so we really are. We're going from one extreme to the other. I've got succulents in the garden and also in pots indoors. When and what do I feed them with? Well, there is this amazing uh, fertiliser, and I think we might have some actually here. For the indoors, indoors I would recommend that you use this. This is pour and feed. Pour and feed comes in different blends for different types of plants, and all you do is literally take the cap off, pour, the, pour it into the cap, and then pour it into the pot for your plant. So the ones that are in pots, Definitely I would use this, great way to go, and you can use it on a regular basis and you'll get great results. When it comes to um, in the garden bed, you need to be a little more cautious. So you want a controlled release fertiliser, and I don't think I've got any Osmocote for cacti and succulents with me, but it's a small container and literally all you need to do is probably a tablespoon per plant around the outside of the base just water it in, just get it into that topsoil just so that it's activated and that's all you have to do, Mary. They will do really, really well in Albany. I've seen some beautiful cacti and succulent gardens down that way. Okay, we're going to New South Wales, Sutherland. Hello, Carolyn. I have a very shady area and I've tried hostas, but the snails absolutely love them. Do you have any tricks to keep the snails away? I do, Carolyn. The way you keep um, the, the snails off your hostas, and you're right, that is the single biggest problem with them, is you use bluestone or use any kind of copper-based spray as a barrier around the outside of the plants. Don't, you don't need to spray it over them unless you've already got snails and slugs really infesting them at the moment. Um, if you do, something like um, cupric hydroxide, so that is uh, sold as co-side, and um, you literally spray it, but don't spray it on hot days, okay? So try and pick a run where you're going to have days under 25, then come out, give them a spray, the, the thing with snails that you have to remember is they're not an insect. So snails and slugs are mollusks, and mollusks have no tolerance of copper. So by using those copper sprays, using bluestone, uh, crushed bluestone around the outside of your plants, it'll stop them in their tracks. They have no tolerance at all. Okay. Mandy's in WA. Hello, Mandy. Can I put a refresher of Triforte 
and fertilizer on my garden at the same time. Well, Treforte is a fertilizer, so um, I would be using the Treforte and, and don't worry about another fertilizer, otherwise you're just double feeding. Hopefully that helps you, Mandy. Um, Chris is in Central Coast of New South Wales. We had a few from the Central Coast of New South Wales. I think all your gardens are looking pretty good at the moment. Um, what, what passion fruit will tolerate full Western sun? Well, all passion fruit should get uh, should handle the, the sun without any problems belting in because that's what they love and what they look for. So, um, you know, if you whether you use, um, you know, one of the Panama Red or Panama Gold or whether you go for Nelly Kelly Black or even if you go for one of the, the seedling varieties that were developed um, that you can buy in like Sunny Pash or Sunny, um, I've got to think of the other name, there's a few of them, um, that you uh, that you can get that were developed actually in northern New South Wales and in Queensland, you're going to get great results. You're in the perfect spot to grow passion fruit and, and more sun, the better. So just make sure you've prepared the soil and that they've got regular water and they'll do very well. Matthew is in Melbourne. Thanks for joining us, Matthew. Um, what can I plant my two city rock orchids in? Where should I place them in the house? Great questions. Um, so... First of all, Sydney rock orchids love, they love growing in um, organic, um, leafy, chunky uh, compost. So you want the same thing. And there is a product out there. It's the Osmocote um, product. It's a very, very good um, uh, potting mix generally for orchids, but particularly the Sydney rock orchid. So I would get myself a bag of that one. And I think it's the coarser form. This I think there's two types. You want the coarser one. Um, I would literally pot them up and now I would move them or break them up, pot them up, move them into a position that's well lit. That is the key. So if, you, if you're if you in a really well lit position, they should still produce lots of flowers as we lead into Christmas time, um, depending on the types of Sydney rock orchids. But um, that's the best treatment. Uh, a little bit of fertiliser won't hurt them just at the moment and you should do very well. Okay, let's have a bit of a... Look, we're down to our last question, and look, it seems fitting that it would be Teller from Leadville in New South Wales. Hello, Teller. Is sheep manure okay for soil preparation for native plants? The answer is I would probably not use sheep manure, no. If they're native plants, they should be able to do very well in your natural soil without any uh, massive improvement. Now, when you say natives, I'm assuming they're native to your local area, but if they're varieties that have come, let's say, from Western Australia, they've been grown in really good potting mix, you might want to put them into a proper planting mix. It's really important that you do handle that carefully. But I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're taking native plants from a local area and that they're going to do very well. Teller, I hope that helps. Whew, we have gone pretty hard and fast today and we've just hit the 10 o'clock mark, so uh, over here in the West anyway. Um, I hope that we've been able to answer your question. If we haven't, uh, certainly don't hesitate to put them in. We'll make sure we answer them next week for you. We really appreciate you watching today's show and, and thanks so much for participating in the live feed. Robin has been running the show today and doing an awesome job and she will send a message to our seed winners after today's show. 
Um, we will pick one winner of a book as well. So I'll let Robin pick the winner. It needs to be a rose question, and it has to be. And, of course, the book is the rose, and that is the very last copy, I reckon, that we've got. So um, congratulations to whoever our winner is going to be. Speaking of congratulations, I'd like to congratulate Sue McDougall. Now, you'll know Sue from the show. She's just been appointed the Director of King's Park and Botanic Gardens uh, here in WA, one of the world's great botanical gardens, certainly in the top three or four in the world. So it's a huge, um, huge big move for Sue. Um, and unfortunately, it probably means we're going to see less of her next year uh, in the media. And she's going to be very busy, obviously, with, with her job and what she does there. But um, that's a great thing. We're also proud of her and, uh, and her achievements. So I wanted to share that with you. Uh, the Garden Gurus is back on Saturday this week, coming. We're playing at different times around the country, so please check your local TV guide um, so you don't miss us. If you do miss us, make sure you head to 9now.com.au and you can watch it when you want to watch it, which is what a lot of, lot of us are doing these days. Uh, remember, if you want more information, jump on our website. It's a great resource. We've got previous stories from the TV show, but all sorts of information available for you. It is a really good resource in getting gardening advice. It is thegardengurus.tv if you're looking for it. And uh, if you want to watch some of the programs or some of the stories, um, head off to our YouTube channel, thegardengurus.tv too. You can listen back to today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast and Audible. And the good news is I will be back next Monday for another session of The Garden Gurus Live. It'll be at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time and, of course, 9 a.m. for WA viewers. Happy gardening, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks very much, team, for a great job. We'll see you later. The Garden Gurus is back this weekend. Make sure you check out your local TV guide for your local times.